Good morning, fellowship. We have so much to celebrate, so much to be grateful for as we celebrate the birth of our King. So will you all stand with me and let's sing this together. Go tell it on the mountain over the hills and
person next to you while you're doing so. Scoot to your left as best you can. Say hi to the person next to you. Welcome to Fellowship Fayetteville. Scoot as best you can to the left, and why don't you have a seat? Check this video out. Hello, Fellowship Fayetteville. My name is Clark, and I have the privilege of serving as one of your pastors and your congregational leader here at Fellowship Fayetteville. First of all, I wanted to say thank you. Over the last seven and a half years, you've created an incredible culture of generosity at Fellowship Fayetteville. Secondly, I wanted to acknowledge that as we enter the holiday season, so many of you, you express your gratitude towards God and your love for others through gift giving. In fact, last year, many of you participated in our gift initiative, our end of the year giving experience. And we were able to take over a half million dollars of what you gave and invest that into a variety of ministries, both local and around the world ministries that help those who are caught up in homelessness, sex trafficking, in-prison and post-prison ministries, church planning, uh, ministries that help us in Bible translation. And then seven and a half years ago, we were the beneficiaries in Fellowship Fayetteville. The elders used some of the gift money to help us launch. And so once again, we'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider participating in the gift initiative. It's easy. Uh, you can do that online on our website, or you can also grab an envelope in our foyer, and you can participate that, put it in the slot in our foyer or the offering plate as it passes by. Thanks again for helping us produce and release spiritual leaders to share and spread and cast the vision to change the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas and the world. And let's not forget how good God has been to us this year. Well, good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. Uh, so glad that you've chosen to come and worship with us this morning. Uh, my name is Garland, and uh, uh, just uh, if, if, if this video, um, I, I just wanted to make one comment about the gift. Uh, every single year, there are ministries all over the world that, that really do receive the money that we give from the gift. And so uh, it, it, just I would ask you to consider uh, what that looks like for you here uh, at the end of the year. And, and again, it goes to, to ministries all over the world and really is an amazing blessing. Um, uh, last week, if you were here at the 9 o'clock especially, uh, my really good friend Brian Pope, he gave announcements. He gave a series of jokes at the beginning, if you recall, uh, and then he gave some announcements. Now, the jokes were fine. Um, they were okay, I guess. But then he gave the Christmas Eve times, and then he said the exact wrong thing to all of you that were here at the 9 o'clock last week. Pope, are you in here? He'll come to the second service, I guess. Uh, he said the wrong thing to all of you. So here's the three Christmas Eve service times uh, coming up on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is a Sunday this year. So normal 9 and 1045 morning service and then 5 o'clock uh, p.m. service. They're all going to be the same. Okay, they're all going to be a family service like we normally have on Christmas Eve. If you are, uh, if you're a regular here with us, we're going to ask you, this is where Pope got it wrong, um, if you would consider coming to the morning services to free up space at the five o'clock, as a lot of people oftentimes make that uh, maybe a, a tradition if, if they're not regular attenders at a church or maybe they're in town. And so 
If you would consider, please, the 9 and 1045, kind of your normal Sunday morning uh, experience, making that your Christmas Eve experience. Again, they're all going to be the same service, so there's no need to come back uh, at 5 if you come in the morning. Um, now, the, the last thing announcement-wise is this. There was supposed to be a fourth person up here with us this morning. Um, Ryan Burton was supposed to be here, and he's your regular worship guy. Uh, but on Friday, go ahead and, and put the picture up there. They had their little one on Friday. And so, uh, yes, if you know Burton, call him, text him, you know, tell him uh, congratulations. So um, they've, got, they've got Hattie June in Georgia. Um, and so that's their, that's their crew now. Um, so, yeah, uh, just give Burton a congratulations when you see him, him and Chelsea. Um, as, we now, as we now kind of transition, we do this every single week, and it's, it's a way for us to remember our great need. And we do so corporately together, recognizing that all of us come before Jesus in, in deep need, and yet we found that need in him and what he's done for us. And that's what, that's what we celebrate in this year-by-year year ritual where we look back at the story of Christmas, and again, as we, uh, as we will be looking forward to Christmas and Christmas Eve this year. Um, so together, and you can just stay seated together, let's just, let's confess to, to the Lord, let's confess uh, before each other and let's share this prayer together heavenly father have mercy on us we have not loved you as you deserve we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves we have not obeyed you as we should lord forgive us our sin we are in need of a savior but again if you are if you are in Christ in this room, if Jesus is your king, he's your savior, then there is good news for you. And that's the good news that we celebrate, God sending his son into this world to rescue it. So church, believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, what I'm going to, what we're going to do just to, for the next little bit is we're going to sing um, a couple of Christmas songs. And I'm just going to enable you. If you want to stay seated, if you want to stand, if you want to uh, pray, however this needs to look for you, um, then you have that freedom for this next uh, 10 minutes or so, these next two songs. The first one we're going to play is a, it's a familiar medley, um, familiar, uh, familiar tune, but what what, what Ryan Burton did a couple years ago is he actually just went back and took the words from this familiar song and, and, and kind of reworked them so that we might appreciate and understand the weight of what's going on when God sends his son into this world. And so um, if you want to just listen to the words, if you want to sing them, um, this, these next few minutes is for you, for me, in the busyness of Christmas and everything going on and office Christmas parties and gift buying and setting up family and all that stuff. Just take maybe just a few minutes here to breathe. We're going to give you that freedom here in this place. So consider these words as we sing this familiar song. And away in a manger, the royal God made flesh for our pardon his life in our stead the stars in the sky he placed where they our savior lord jesus 
Fellowship, every year we set aside the four Sundays leading up to Christmas for what we call Advent. It's an ancient Christmas tradition, that word Advent. It just means coming. We anticipate the coming of the Lord. And Sunday by Sunday, we light candles that symbolize the light 
coming into the world. And so this morning, I've got the White family, Guy and Jennifer White, and their daughters, Amelia, Naomi, and Elise. So glad y'all are here with us. The Whites are longtime friends. They're community group leaders in Farmington. They're going to share some thoughts with us and then light the Advent candle of peace. We light this candle as a sign of the coming light of Christ. Advent means arrival. We reflect on the first advent of Christ and await the next. We look for the coming of God's kingdom. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. We light this candle as a symbol of the peace we have in the promise of the Lord's coming. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I fear? I believe I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. And together we say, Come, Lord Jesus, come. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. 
The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Well, I love those Bible Project videos, don't y'all? They're so, like, they, they make it so clear the visuals make it so easy to remember. I just wanted to point y'all to their website, bibleproject.com. There are tons of resources on there. there there's blog posts, there's articles, um, and of course, the videos. And so I wanna encourage you, use those videos in your own study, use them with your kids. We kicked off our community group last semester with their overview of Philippians, bibleproject.com. Well, my name's Michael, and I serve on the community team here at Fellowship. And this morning, as we mentioned, we're continuing our, our Advent series this week on peace. And so this morning, I want to greet you with the traditional Merry Christmas, but also with the traditional Hebrew greeting, Shalom. It's one of the few Hebrew words that most of us are familiar with, Shalom. It can be used as a hello or a goodbye in Hebrew. And as we heard on the video, Shalom, it's so much richer, it's so much fuller than just our English word, peace. As they were articulating, it's about wholeness, it's about completeness. And so just now, as the White family was, was lighting this candle, which, by the way, was that incredible? Jennifer said to me during the week, don't worry, my girls are good at memorizing stuff. Yeah, I think so. And I was so proud of them. They were lighting the candle of wholeness completeness, unity, a peace that's internal as well as external. And so I want to invite you right now. Garland kind of pointed us in this direction already. Let's just all take a deep breath. Let it out. Let's just experience just for a minute. Shalom, peace. I want to invite you to just set aside whatever it is that's competing for your attention, whatever it is that's going to distract you, just for a few minutes, let's put that away and let's just experience some peace from God's Word. Normally at this point in the talk, I say, take out your phone, pull up your Bible app. This morning, I'm going to do just the opposite. I'm going to actually encourage you, just leave your phone in your purse or your pocket. I'm going to put all the verses up on the screen. Something else I would never normally say, I'm going to say this morning, maybe don't take notes. Now, some of you type A note takers just lost your shalom. It's okay. <laughs> if you need to take notes, I don't want to stress you out. What I want to invite you to do is to just be in the moment. And I want to confess to y'all, that's something that I have to pray about. I struggle with being in the moment. 
I have a tendency to always be thinking about what's next, always thinking about what's coming up. I have this problem-solving track that's always playing in the back of my mind. And so I want to bring you into my prayer and pray that we can just be here together in the moment, experiencing peace. And what I want us to do this morning is to just take a journey through the scripture together that, Lord willing, is going to lead us to the table of Christ. That we'll end our time this morning by just taking communion together as we celebrate the shalom that Jesus brings us, the peace that we have with God and with each other. Are you all up for that? Okay, no one nodded. We'll just assume that you are. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you desire for us to experience peace, wholeness, completeness, shalom in our own hearts, in our own minds, but also with each other, and most importantly, with you. And so, Lord, my prayer is that this morning you would help us be in the moment that for just a few minutes, we could experience peace of heart and mind as we open your word. And then in a few minutes, as we worship you through song, and then as we finish by taking communion, that this will all be in the name of the one who makes it all possible. And it's in his name we pray, Jesus, amen. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I feel better already. All right, here we go. Our Advent series this year, is called With Us. This morning, we're talking about peace with us. That with us comes from Emmanuel, God with us. It was a name given to Jesus in anticipation of his coming, his advent, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And this morning, we're considering how he brings peace with us. And so we're going to look at this idea, the idea that they Summarized in the video, shalom. Shalom and its Greek counterpart, Irene, they are mentioned 500 times in the Bible. And as you might guess, it has its roots in Genesis. Those of you who've taken our Torah class in the Institute, you know almost every major Bible theme has its roots in the book of Genesis. And in this case, we're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 14, verse 8. I'll have it up on the screen for us. Genesis 14, 8 says, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. All right, so y'all are thinking, oh, here we go, our typical Christmas sermon on Melchizedek. No, stick with me, we're going somewhere, I promise. This, this strange little encounter, that's the whole thing. This strange little encounter occurs after what I'd call a skirmish. I think it's overselling it to call it a war. What happened was a group of raiders came and they raided Abram. We know him better as Abraham. God's gonna change his name later in the story. They raid his place and they take some of his property some of his animals, and they kidnap his nephew. And what they're about to learn is that they messed with the wrong Hebrew because Abram gets 318 trained men, it says in the story, and he pursues them. And he gets back his animals, 
his stuff and his nephew. And on his way home, he's greeted by these two kings, a good king and a bad king. The bad king is the king of a place called Sodom. Remember them? They turned out to be pretty bad. The other one is this guy, Melchizedek. His name means king of righteousness. What does this have to do with Shalom? Well, the answer is hiding in plain sight. Do you see it? He's the king of Salem. It's the same root word. It means peace. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. And what does he give Abram? Well, he gives provision for his men, but not just any provision. He gives them bread and wine. And so we have this mysterious little encounter here. It's only three verses long. And then the narrative just goes on. Well, if we turn one page, now we find ourselves in Genesis 15. It's a very famous chapter. It's actually in your daily Advent devotional today. If you're getting our Advent devotionals, if you're not, you can subscribe to those online. I was reading it at the table this morning, and I said to my wife, oh, he's in Genesis 15. We're actually going to go there in the sermon today. Genesis chapter 15 is the first place that the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, uses the actual word shalom. It's in Genesis chapter 15, verse 15. God says to Abraham, but as for you, you shall go to your fathers in shalom, in peace, for you shall be buried in good old age. Now, that may not seem like a real significant use of the word, but it's the context of it that really brings it to life. See, this is at the end of a conversation between God and Abraham. Now, just to remind you, Abraham, super important character in the Bible. Not only is he the father of the people of Israel, but he's the recipient of one of the most important, most foundational promises. We call them covenants in the Bible. God made a promise to Abraham. It's repeated several times in Genesis. And it boils down to descendants, land, and blessing. Over and over, God tells Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants, I'm going to give you land, and I'm going to give you this blessing. And it's in this chapter, chapter 15, that God tells Abraham that his offspring will be more numerous than the stars. And he says, I'm going to give them a land that they can dwell in. It's a place I've picked out. That's why we call it the promised land. God had promised it for them. But most significantly, especially for us, most significant is the promise of blessing. God tells Abraham, I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I'll curse. And in you, all the families of the earth, that's us, will be blessed. So God says, I'm gonna give you descendants, land, and through your family, I'm gonna bless the whole world. And Abraham believed God. He believed the truth of these promises. Even though he was old and had no kids, he was a nomad and had no land, and it didn't seem any way possible that God was gonna bless the whole world through him, Abraham believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. In other words, he was declared right with God based on his faith. That's why the New Testament quotes this four times. It's salvation, 
through grace, by faith, in Genesis 15. And it's in that context that the word shalom appears for the first time in the original Hebrew, in the middle of God confirming his promise to Abraham. And he actually tells them in that verse, the next part of this story is going to, or in that chapter, the next part of this story is going to unfold over 450 years. So what happens in the next 450 years? Well, the descendants of Abraham are going to be looking for shalom and finding anything but. They put the fun in dysfunctional family. There's brother struggling with brother. There's deception. There's favoritism. Abraham's great-grandchild, Joseph, is going to be sold into slavery by his own brothers. But through all of that, God's at work, just as he promised he would be. And so 450 years later, when God brings Abraham's descendants out of Egypt, they are too numerous to count. And he's taking them back to the land that he promised them. And what do you think he wants them to experience there? I'll give you a hint. It's in 10-foot tall letters. He wants them to experience shalom. He says it outright. On the way there in the book of Leviticus, as he's explaining how he wants them to behave in the land, he says, I will give you shalom, peace in the land. God's plan for Israel was that they would be his people in the land that he had promised them, and they would experience shalom, wholeness, peace. But we know what happened next. They entered the land, and they were ruled by a series of judges, and over and over they experienced this cycle where they would be disobedient to God. They would sin. They would come under his judgment. They would repent and be restored. Because of their disobedience, they were constantly being harassed by the nations around them. They were perpetually at war. They definitely were not experiencing the shalom that God had intended. So then we turn the page to Samuel, 1 Samuel. God gives them a king. Their second king is a man after God's own heart. It's King David. David unites the 12 tribes into one nation. He establishes the king's, the kingdom's capital in Jerusalem. Jeru, the first half of that name, means foundation or pillar. We already saw Salem means peace. Their capital is the, is the city of Shalom. And so Shalom continues to be not just at the heart of God's plan for Israel, but of their national identity, their worldview. But instead of wholeness, instead of experiencing shalom, just two generations after David, the kingdom breaks in two. Mickey talked about this some last week. The blue in the north, that's 10 tribes that formed the nation of Israel. They had a series of kings. They were all bad. None of them worshiped God. None of them walked in his ways. The southern part It's called the kingdom of Judah. It's two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. They maintained their capital there in Jerusalem. They also had a series of kings, some good, some bad. But of course, during this period, they're not experiencing shalom because now they're not just at war with the nations around them. They're in a state of perpetual conflict 
with each other. The nation that was designed to be a picture of God's wholeness, unity, peace, is now completely and literally broken. And about 200 years into this state of affairs, the divided kingdom, God sends a prophet named Isaiah. He's a prophet down in the yellow part, the the kingdom of Judah, the southern part. He's in Jerusalem, the city of peace. And he's a prophet that comes into a nation that feels like they're in a pressure cooker. Or today we would say an instant pot. It's a time of military struggle. It's a time of economic woe. And into that situation, God gives Isaiah a prophecy. Mickey mentioned it last week. We're going to look at it again this morning. It's in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom, Prince of Peace. Now think about this prophecy in the context of what we've been talking about. Israel, designed for shalom, never experiencing it. And now during a time of ongoing division, military threat, economic pain, civil strife, the question's on the table, will our nation even survive? God says through the prophet, one is coming. A child, not just a child, but a son who will be called the Prince of Shalom, the ruler who's going to bring harmony, completion, the ruler who's going to put things back like it was supposed to be. And he says in the prophecy, this Shalom won't be like these little moments and seasons of peace that you've experienced, Israel. Look at the next verse, verse 7. He says, of the increase of his government of and of shalom, peace. There'll be no end. On the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This child, this son, he is going to bring a shalom that lasts forever. And he's gonna do it from the throne of David. And look at that last line. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I don't use the word zeal a ton myself. Maybe you do. But in this context, I think it means devotion, affection. It's God's love for Israel that's going to compel him to keep his promises. God is going to keep his promises through the Prince of Peace. And what happens next in Israel? Well, you probably remember because we talked about it for most of this past calendar year. What happens next is exile. Isaiah gives this prophecy in 734 BC and just 12 years later in 722, the blue part Israel, they go into exile. They're removed from the country The southern kingdom of Judah, they hang on for a while longer. The city of peace, Jerusalem, hangs in there until 586 B.C., but because of their disobedience, they too end up in exile. And now the shalom of Israel 
is completely destroyed. And God himself said as much through the prophet Jeremiah writing during the exile. Look what he says. I have taken away my shalom from this people. This is God's judgment falling on them. And this situation is going to remain for the next five centuries. Think about how long that is. Does 1523 sound like a long time ago to you? 500 years, it's a long time. But then things start to happen. We turn the page into the New Testament. As they mentioned in the video, now we've switched from Hebrew to Greek. So it's not Shalom, it's Irene. But it's the same idea. As we turn the page to the New Testament, it's been 2,000 years since God's promise to Abraham. It's been 734 years since God's promise through Isaiah of a prince of peace. Israel's been waiting and waiting, but never experiencing peace. And into the silence comes a message. This time it's not through a prophet. This time it's straight from heaven itself. An angel announces to the shepherds who are watching their flocks in the field, that the Messiah, the long-awaited one, has been born. And as the sky fills with angels, they sing glory to God in the highest and on earth, Irene, peace. The one who would finally bring peace, not just to Israel, but to the whole world, has been born. And he's laying in a manger in nearby Bethlehem. Of course, that baby would grow up to be a man. He would be a rabbi, a teacher. He would show us what it looks like for God to walk among us. He would teach us how God wants us to live. And he would say on the last night before he was crucified that he brings us Irene. Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. My peace, my Irene, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. He says, let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. Later that same night, he would say, I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. The long sought Irene, shalom. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Later that night, he would be arrested. The next day, crucified. And then on the third day, he would rise to life. And so as the Apostle Paul was considering what all this meant, he would write in Ephesians that Jesus doesn't just give us peace, which he does, but Paul would go further and say he is our peace. He writes in Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace, who's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Paul says, Jew and Gentile, you've never been able to get along. Now you can, because Jesus has destroyed the very thing that separated us. Jesus has destroyed the thing that caused us to say, I'm on this side, you're on that side. We can never be reconciled. Paul says, no, now because of Jesus, the wall's gone and it's replaced by him and he is our peace. And so it's only when we're in Christ that we can experience this shalom, this Irene, this peace, it's a peace that 
no circumstance and no person can ever take away from us. And so the Bible's clear all the way through. God is keeping his promises through the Prince of Peace. His promises to Abraham, his promises to David, his promises to Israel, his promises in the New Testament to us. He's keeping his promises through Emmanuel, God with us. All of his promises find their fulfillment in the shalom of Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our King. All right, so let's pull this whole thing together. In the last 20 minutes or so, we've only covered 2,000 years of salvation history and 97% of the Bible. So let's pull it together. Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of peace. He brings to Abraham as a sign of God's blessing, bread and wine. 2,000 years later, the promised one finally comes, a righteous king, the prince of peace. In fact, he's the one who is our peace. And he tells us to remember his sacrifice until he comes with what? Bread and wine. And so fellowship this morning on the second Sunday of Advent 2023, let's take those simple elements and let's remember our peace. As the ushers prepare to serve the communion elements The tray is going to come by. Remember, you just need to take one cup. The juice is on the top. The bread's on the bottom. If you're here as our guest, we're so glad you're here. If you wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus, if you've never made that commitment to him, you've never accepted the free gift of salvation, when that tray comes, just pass it on by. It won't mean anything to you anyway. But if you're here as a follower of Jesus, I want you to take that bread and take that cup and I want you to hold on to it. And as we worship in song, I want you to contemplate his peace. I want you to think about the baby born in the manger who becomes the man who will go to the cross. We have the manger at the foot of the cross for a reason. When he goes to the cross, it's his sacrifice It's going to make it possible for us to have peace with each other and with God. That we can have shalom, wholeness, unity. And so hold those elements. And in just a moment, we'll take communion together. Lord, thank you that you had a plan from the beginning for all the families of the earth including Gentiles who live in the 21st century in Northwest Arkansas to be blessed. And so, Lord, we pray now that you would help us experience your peace with each other and with you as we remember your sacrifice. came 
Would you stand with me? On the night before he was crucified, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us, he said, this bread is my body, this cup is my blood. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation, the second person of the Trinity, the Son took on flesh and walked among us. And it was by his flesh and his blood that he reconciled us, that he made it possible for us to experience peace. The Bible says, as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember his death until he comes, his second advent. See, during this season, we don't just remember his first coming. We look forward to his second, and that's exactly what we do every time we take communion. The incarnation, his body, do this in remembrance of him. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of him. Well, Fellowship Fable, if you'd like to pray with someone, the prayer room's open through these doors to your right. We love you. And our prayer is that you'll go from this place experiencing his peace in such a powerful way that it affects those around you. We love you. Shalom. Shalom.